Reading Matthew 15, verses 1 to 28. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do you, your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honour their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of the God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwanted, unwashed hands does not defile them. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that, that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Thanks for that, Matthew. Enjoyed that Bible reading so much, I forgot to put my microphone on. Bear with me one moment, reflect on the, the passage. There we go, got there. Morning, everyone. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, I had the great privilege of walking alongside uh, a guy at a previous church that I was at. He would have been about 19 or 20 years of age, and he, he came to faith, came from a a non-church family and became a Christian. It was a great time of joy for him, but also I was conscious that it was, it, there was a lot of discomfort that he felt being part of a church family, joining in with church and young adults group and, and being around people who knew their Bibles a lot better than he did and, and people that didn't have some of the, the baggage that he had coming into it in, in his personal life. And I wonder if that rings true for you. 
a little bit, whether you, you come to church on a Sunday and you just feel like people have all got it together, but, but you don't. Maybe you, you feel like people know their Bibles so well, but, but you don't. Uh, maybe you're someone who's checking out Christianity, you think, I'd love to be a Christian, I'd love to do this, but I just feel like I'm starting from too far back. Or maybe you've been coming here a while, you've, you are a follower of Jesus, you're connected in well here, but you think, if people knew the real me, they, they wouldn't like me as much. Well, throughout Matthew's gospel, Jesus is bringing together a community of faith, a community of true worshippers. And in this chapter that, that we've just read, there's a bit of a shock at who is included in this community and who isn't. Or to put it another way, who is clean and who isn't. And it gets right to the heart of what true worship is or what it means to be clean in God's sight. Uh, so what we see firstly is that true worship is grounded in the Bible. Uh, we got to the end of chapter 14 in Matthew's Gospel a, a couple of weeks ago. We, we saw that Jesus had performed his miracle walking on water. They, they'd got to the other side of the shore. Uh, Jesus had begun healing people who were sick. And it's at this time that some Pharisees and teachers of the law are sent from Jerusalem to, to scope Jesus out. Uh, so these are the religious leaders at that time. They're the, they're the guardians of religious society. They're the really respectable people around that time. And they've come up to Jesus, they've completely ignored the miracles that he's doing, and, they, and they've said to him, what are your disciples doing? They're not washing their hands before they eat. They're ignoring the traditions of our elders. Uh, now, this isn't a hygiene issue. If the, the last 18 months have taught us anything, it's that washing our hands before a meal is very important. Um, this isn't about hygiene, this is about religious purity. The, the hand washing that's been talked about here is uh, a ceremonial cleansing. Uh, so that they've asked Jesus, why aren't your disciples washing their hands? And Jesus' response to the religious leaders is, you are hypocrites. You are hypocrites. What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is someone who, who presents on the outside uh, as someone that they're not, someone different to what they are on the inside. Um, if you want a, a classic illustration of this, I was walking through a car park once on a 40-degree day. It was a swelteringly hot day. And I walked past a car, and there was, someone had left their dog in the back seat of the car with the, with the windows up. And there's this poor dog who's puffing and panting in the car, must be swelteringly hot in there. And on the, the back of the car, there's a bumper sticker that says, Ban Live Export. <laughs> so... Just, just to explain the, the hypocrisy there so it's all clear, on the, on the outside of the car that this person is saying, I'm against animals being put in horrible, cruel conditions. But on the inside of the car, they've left their dog in there on a 40-degree day. That, that's the, the very def definition of hypocrisy. And I think it's something that we have a radar for, hypocrisy, isn't it? We, we, we're very conscious of it. Uh, the, the, the classmate at school who sucks up to the teacher and acts really nice to the teacher, but then bullies other kids when the teacher isn't watching. The politician who criticises a member of the opposing party for something that he's doing himself. Big businesses that align themselves with in-trend social movements to make themselves look really good, while at the same time profiting from corruption and, and overseas exploitation. Hypocrisy is all around us, isn't it? And the hypocrisy of these religious leaders is that they were following these man-made traditions to look really good while they were neglecting God's word, which was really important. And Jesus gives the example of uh, this tradition that was around at that time, this, this human tradition that allowed Jewish people to devote money to God, that is to, to the temple and to, to worship, to devote that money to, to God, uh, 
giving them a loophole to avoid the commandments in the Bible that, that told them to honor their parents and to care for their parents. So you can see it's kind of like cheating on your tax, except for instead of ripping off the ATO, you're ripping off your own parents. And Jesus is saying to the religious leaders who are putting these rules in place, you are hypocrites. You're advocating man-made rules that justify ignoring God's word. And you're leading other people down that path as well. The religious leaders, they thought that they were, they were guides to the spiritually blind, but actually Jesus says, it's the blind leading the blind. And have a look at verse 13. Jesus says about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. It's an ominous warning, isn't it? Particularly when we think back to the parable of the weeds that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Uh, verses 8 and 9, just earlier, Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah because the same thing was going on. There was the same issue with the religious leaders of Jesus' day as was happening with the religious leaders 700 years ago in Isaiah's day. These people honor me with their lips, God says, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Their, their service is nothing but lip service. It's hypocrisy. See, God has given us his word to, to have authority over all things in our lives. It's God's word that helps us to, to know who God is, to know what God has done for us, what God promises us, and what it looks like for us to live in response to God, to please him. Worship is grounded in the Bible. And I don't mean just worship for an hour on a Sunday, but I mean a whole of life worship. Sadly, over the years, so many churches have, have got carried away with human traditions. They've, they've gone fully into human traditions and, and drifted away from the teaching of the Bible and from an understanding of the authority of the Bible. And you might think, yep, that's, that's what happens in really traditional churches, but it, but it can happen with any church. Even a church that meets here in a memorial hall can get carried away with human traditions and, and human philosophies. We, we constantly have to measure ourselves up against the Bible and work out, are we aligned with it? Is, is our church lining up with the Bible? Are we passionate about the things that God is passionate about in the Bible? Are we passionate about reaching the lost? Do our values align with God's values? Phil and Gary have been doing a great job down in the ministry center fixing up the kitchen. It looks great. I'd recommend you go down there and have a look if you haven't yet, and obviously with the help of others who have donated money and, and helped out as well. Um, but they, they installed a new bench top recently, and it was only when they got this flush, perfectly straight bench top installed in there that you, that you could see just how much curvature there was in the wall behind there. That, that's what God's word is supposed to do to our, to our life as a church and in our lives. It's meant to be the plumb line that we measure up against. I've been listening a little bit to that um, Who Killed Mars Hill podcast. I don't know if other people have been listening. Listen to that, listen to a few episodes of that. It's basically looking at a, a church in America that um, was really successful for a period, but then, then had a, a um, period of pretty steep decline. And, and the reason for that, the, the big issue seems to be that the church was so obsessed with success that they, they lost sight of the character of the people that were leading. They, they valued results over what the Bible said about the character of leaders. We have to make sure that we're aligning ourselves with the Bible. And of course, that, that goes with our personal lives as well. If, if we're not regularly getting into the Bible in our own personal lives, then 
our views are going to be formed by the, the hundreds, if not thousands, of human voices that we're hearing around us. So true worship is grounded in the Bible. And secondly, true worship goes right to the heart. Uh, we've seen back in verse 8 what the problem is with the, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Their hearts are far from God. On the outside, there's all this really impressive behavior and, and lip service, but on the inside, they have wayward hearts. And Jesus, he doesn't want simply outward obedience. He doesn't want empty lip service. He wants our hearts. And when, when we're talking about our hearts, we're talking about who I am at the deepest level, what I love, what I hate, what I desire, what I fear, all those sorts of things. As we read through the Gospels and we look at the, the confrontations that Jesus has with various people, we see that so often it's with people who only care about the outside. They just, they just want to look good. They want to just work out what boxes they have to tick to make God happy. And Jesus is saying, no, it's more than that. It's got to go right to the heart. I had the great privilege of going along to a, um, a night of the young adults group here a couple of, couple of weeks back. The young adults were doing a finance night and we were kicking around all sorts of great questions about how, as Christians, we should, we should manage our money. And what we worked out pretty quickly is that things aren't black and white. That it's not a, simply a matter of ticking boxes. That The Bible doesn't give us verses that show us exactly how much money we should give, whether we should own a home, all those sorts of things. It's the heart behind those decisions we make that matters. Is it coming from a love of God? Or is it coming from a love of money? Who, who am I trying to serve with these decisions? See, a person's heart is more important than, than these sort of outward appearances. And I think everyone believes that, regardless of whether you're, you're Christian or religious or not. I mean, what's, what's the saying that, that you hear? Beauty is only skin deep. I think we have this realization that, it, that it's what's inside us that really matters, because it's what in, what's inside us that ultimately drives that outward behavior. And that's what Jesus says. Look at, look at verses 10 and 11. He's been asked this question about hand washing, and Jesus recognized that this, this is a teaching moment. This is a teaching opportunity for the crowd. And so he calls the crowd together, and he says to them, a person isn't defiled by what goes into their mouth, whether they've washed their hands and done all the ceremonial washing or not, they're defiled by what comes out of their mouth. See, what goes into the mouth comes out the other end, doesn't it? The, the body takes what's useful, discharges what isn't. There, there's no real logical bearing on someone's spiritual health, is there? What's far more indicative of spiritual health, though, is what comes out of the mouth. It's the words we speak. And also our, our thoughts and our actions as well, because these things, they are the overflow of our hearts. And have a look at what Jesus says in verse 19. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, sexual immorality, slander, and many other nasty things. And I don't think Jesus is trying to give us an exhaustive list here. He could probably go on and on about the things that come out of our hearts. And so what Jesus is saying here is that it is pure hypocrisy to have these things overflowing from your heart, but to think that you're clean in God's sight because you wash your hands before you eat. 
It's like putting wallpaper over a cracked wall, isn't it? It's no good looking squeaky clean on the outside and doing all the right things on the outside when the inside is filthy because we're transformed from the inside out, not from the outside in. Now, wouldn't it be great if Jesus was just talking about the Pharisees here? Wouldn't it be great if we could just read this passage and think to ourselves, oh, those, those stupid hypocritical Pharisees, have a bit of a laugh at them, and then we can move on and read something else and not, not think about it for ourselves. Um, but for all of us, we think things, we think thoughts, we speak words, and, and we perform actions that we know are wrong, that we're ashamed of. For all of us, there are thoughts, words, or actions of ours that, that would be weighing on our conscience right now. And I reckon it's tempting sometimes to think that when I'm thinking really noble thoughts or when I'm speaking really kind words or when I'm doing really generous actions, that, that that's the real me. That's, that's me, the, the very best of me. That's, that's the real me. The, the times when I think things that aren't so good or say things that aren't so good or do things that aren't so good, there's other reasons for that. You know, someone, someone's forced me to do it or I was stressed out. There's some other factor that's made me do that. That's not the real me. But it all comes from my heart, doesn't it? It all overflows from my heart. Uh, so if you've ever... If you're, if you're a parent and you've ever lost control and you've yelled at your kids and you've said nasty things to them, they might have been misbehaving, but they didn't make you do that. That flowed from your heart. Uh, if, you, if you've ever looked at someone lustfully or, or had those sort of lustful thoughts, look, perhaps they should have been wearing more clothing, but they didn't make you do that. That came from your heart. Uh, if you've ever thought angry or almost murderous thoughts about someone for, for something they've done, look, they've, they've probably done something bad. They've, they've probably hurt you in some way. But even then, they haven't made you think those murderous thoughts. That's come from your heart as well. This is, this is the overflow of our hearts. The occasion simply brings out what was there already. Now, can you see here what Jesus is saying about the state of our hearts? He's saying that there's, there's something fundamentally wrong with our hearts. Uh, true worship, being clean in God's sight, it's not about outward appearances. It's not about being clean on the outside. It's, it's about our hearts. And yet at the same time, Jesus is saying our hearts are in a bad way. And this is what the Bible calls sin. Our, our hearts are broken, we're, we're opposed to God in our hearts. We need heart surgery. We're in desperate need of a saviour. And so point three on your outlines there, true worship recognises Jesus as the Lord and saviour that we desperately need. Jesus has had his altercation with the Pharisees and now he, he moves away, he, he withdraws to Tyre and Sidon. This is Gentile territory, so this is non-Jewish people that live here. And a woman comes up to him. She's a woman and she's a Gentile. So for both of those reasons, the, the religious leaders would have looked down on her. They would have thought, this woman is unclean. She's, she's inferior. And to make matters even worse, she's been hanging out with her demon-possessed daughter. So this woman is as unclean as you could get. 
Even Jesus' disciples, you see, they, they have a lack of compassion for her. They want her gone. They, they say to Jesus, can you get rid of her? And yet, this woman, she recognises something in Jesus that the religious leaders didn't. Something that even the disciples were, were struggling to wrap their heads around. She comes up to him and she, she cries out to him, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. She kneels before him. She recognises here that, that Jesus is Lord. He has authority. He's God's king. He's the son of David. And importantly, she recognises that she needs his mercy. And if you look at Jesus' responses, they, they seem a little bit strange, don't they? They seems like this is very uncharacteristic of the Jesus that we, that we feel like we know. Um, at first, he's completely silent. Next, he tells her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, i.e. not to a Gentile like you. And then finally, he says to her, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs, that is, to the Gentiles, to, to anyone who's not Jewish. And we read this and we think, is Jesus being cruel here? Is this the side to Jesus that all of the gospel readers try to, to hide from us, but we're, we're finally seeing here? No, I think what's going on here is that Jesus is drawing out the faith that he knows is there. And the woman shows that faith. Verse 27, she says, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. You see what she's saying there? Even a Gentile like me, even someone who's not part of God's Old Testament people, even I can receive God's blessings through Jesus. Jesus praises her faith and he heals her daughter. And can you see what's going on here? Jesus is expanding his kingdom beyond who we would expect to enter it. There are some surprising inclusions in this kingdom. Who would have thought that this Gentile woman with a demon-possessed daughter would be part of God's people? And the list of exclusions is equally surprising as well. The Pharisees who are clean on the outside, they're doing all the right things on the outside, they're told by Jesus, your worship is in vain. And this Gentile woman who's unclean, her worship is affirmed by Jesus. Why? Well, because it flowed out of recognizing who Jesus was and knowing her desperate need for his grace. There's a lot of offense in this passage, isn't there? That the Pharisees are offended at being told about the state of their hearts. But this woman, she was beyond being offended. She knew her need. And so for us, knowing the state of our hearts, like this woman, we know that our only hope is to cast ourselves on the mercy of Jesus. So Jesus is the only one who can help us with our heart problem. Because he's the only one with a perfectly clean heart. His solution to our problem was laying down his perfect life, taking the punishment that we deserve for all the ways that our sinful hearts have overflowed into thoughts and words and actions that are offensive to God. That's the irony in this passage. The, the Pharisees are offended at what Jesus is saying. Um, we think surely the woman must be offended at what Jesus is saying. 
But really, the most offensive thing in this passage is our own hearts and how offensive our hearts are to God. And so we have the great joy that Jesus freely gave his life to redeem ours. All we have to do is accept him as Lord and Savior. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're fairly new to church. You're still checking it out, still, still working out what Christianity is all about. This is what it's all about. It's not about coming to church and saying all the right things and having it all together and that just being the perfect Christian. But it's about knowing that I don't have it all together. I'm not perfect. I know that my heart isn't right. But I know that Jesus did what I couldn't. He laid down his life so that I could have true life through him. And if we've done that, if we've put our trust in Jesus, if we've accepted that free offer of salvation that he offers us, then the heart surgery that we need is underway. Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit and his Holy Spirit is transforming our hearts from the inside out, aligning our hearts, what we love, what we hate, what we desire, aligning our hearts with God's own heart. That's a beautiful thing. I used to work as an engineer before I went into ministry and I worked with a guy who, we we got chatting about spiritual matters and and he said to me very upfront, look, I don't believe in Jesus, I don't believe in any of that rubbish, but I do go to church every now and then because I know I've done things that that make me unclean and and I want to feel clean. That, that was his reason for going to church. And it was a really sad conversation to hear, actually, because going to church, it might give you a false sense of cleanness, and maybe that was all that he wanted, but it won't give you anything more than that. To be clean before God, to truly worship him, it goes beyond outward appearances. Even something good like going to church on its own isn't enough. Only the blood of Jesus is enough. True worship isn't simply about outward appearances. It's not simply about doing all the right things on the outside and assuming that that makes us right. It's grounded in the Bible. It goes right to the heart. And it's a response to Jesus being the merciful Lord and Saviour that we desperately need, who paid it all so that one day we can stand clean before God forever. I'm gonna pray for us in a moment. And after that, we're going to have a a reflective item. We're going to hear Psalm 51 played to us musically. And and it would be good to really reflect on the lyrics of this psalm. It's it's one you might be aware that it was written by King David, um, who lived about a thousand years before Jesus. And it was written after a, uh, an incident of, of great sin in his life, something really bad that he did that was revealed to him at a moment that, that made him recognize the state of his heart, made him recognize the need for change at a heart level. And this, this was the psalm that he wrote, pleading for God for a clean heart. So let's pray and then we'll reflect on God's word from Psalm 51. Father, we thank you that even though our hearts aren't clean, even though there are things that we think, say, and do that are displeasing to you, 
Uh, We thank you that through Jesus we can stand clean before you. Thank you that Jesus died, that he laid down his perfectly clean life so that we can trust in him and that we can have that free offer of salvation that comes through him alone. As we stand before you, Father, help us to acknowledge the state of our hearts, to trust in the work of your spirit to make us clean, and to trust in the work of your son and what he has done, that we might be able to stand before you clean and to point each other to this great news. For anyone here who is struggling with things in their past or things in their present, please, may they rest in that amazing grace that is 